I am thankful we are prisoners no more. Amen? We are glad again that you're here. If you're in Kidmo, then you are welcome to head back to Kidmo. Uh, If you're a guest and you have a second through fifth grader, that's a place for them to go, do their own time of teaching, small groups, play some games, and uh, enjoy themselves as well. So you're welcome to walk your child back there and see what they're getting involved in. Uh, We're continuing our series on free. This is actually going to be our last week. And uh, I'm, I'm excited not only to finish this series up, but I'm also excited about what we're doing next week. And I'm going to share that with you a little bit later. Uh, I just want to introduce, because you have to do this when your family comes to visit, but my aunt and uncle are here. My uncle Mike and my aunt Ann are here from Santa Barbara, California. So there, uh, you all be very welcoming of them, okay? Because, you know, that's the way we are in Tennessee, right? We're a little down. Last night was rough. It was rough for us, I know. It was rough for me, it was rough for you. I've got my voice this week. I didn't have it last week, but I've got it this week. Uh, But we're excited about what the the fall brings. I'm excited for cold weather. Anybody else? Yes, I'm so tired of the heat. It's a little warm in here. We might have to turn the air up. Is anybody hot? Okay. If if somebody could walk back there and hit that air conditioner, just nudge it down a little bit, that would be right on that back wall, right next to you, actually, Gene. Um, and uh, we'll try to get it a little cooler in here. Uh, I want to start by just asking a basic question. You know, everything we do, it's about the gospel. Every part of planning for a service, whether it be a fifth Saturday, whether it be um, coming together on a Sunday morning, uh, whether it be a block party, no matter what we do, There's a purpose behind it, and the purpose is that the gospel needs to go out into the world, and we live in a world that is so busy. If you were here for our opening video, you you could feel how, how that is to be so busy that you just can't slow down. And the world is so busy with all the things that they're doing, we often miss what is most important in our lives and in the world, and we have an opportunity to celebrate when we come here on Sundays, but we have that opportunity every day to celebrate that the gospel has set us free. So here's my question. As you think about your life and as you think about the concept of freedom, and I want you to answer me here, what does it mean to be free? If you were right now free, what would that mean? Anybody? No debt. I'd say that's probably echoed by a lot of people in the room, right? What else? What does it mean? Retirement. All right. Some of us, we can't even think about retirement. But yeah, retirement is freedom. It's freedom. What else? No traffic? No grudges? Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. What else? What? Do whatever you want. That's right. Let's go. Time to go. What else? No anxiety? Not being enslaved? What else? To be free. Hmm? Sleep in. Sleep in. Amen. Some of you are get, get a head start here in a few minutes. I'll be well into the sermon in a few minutes. You can go, go ahead and get started on that nap. Anything? What else? I, think about this. And, and here's the reason I ask this question. Because freedom is a concept. But whenever we take the time to ask ourselves, what would make me experience freedom in my life and in my circumstances, it's sometimes harder. 
You know, it's easy to think about freedom in the context of I get out of jail or debt is a wonderful example of what it means to be in bondage to a prison that does not have bars. But it has its own bars, doesn't it? How many of us would think about freedom would be the opportunity to to go places that we've always wanted to go, but we can't because we're bound by this financial prison? Some of us might think about freedom as the freedom to be generous with what we have and to help others. And you see needs and your heart just cries out to say, we can help here, and yet we aren't helping because we're so tied up with that kind of thing. Debt is a wonderful example of what it means to not be free. Perhaps we don't feel free because the lives that we live, maybe the jobs that we do, or maybe what we've committed ourselves to over time has so structured structured and strictured our lives that we have not been able to step outside to think about, well, what? If I had a day to do anything I wanted, what would I do with my day? But the idea of freedom is, the, is exactly what the gospel is about. The idea of freedom is what we're trying to portray throughout this series. And, and our hope is that you will not only experience the concept of freedom, but you can begin to search for what is truly free. And I know for me, there are many things that I would love to see happen in the world and in our church and in my life that I have no control over. And sometimes freedom feels like we have control over something. But what we've discovered, and if you've been with us on this journey through this series, is that freedom is not just the ability to do whatever we want, but instead it's the ability to see ourselves as God sees us and to walk with Him. That is freedom. Many of the things that I've always wanted in my life, I grow to learn they were not real good things to want. Anybody else do that? Some of you have learned that what I really sought after and spent my whole early part of my life focusing on ended up being a big disappointment. And so we learn to think and hope and want for better things. So as we go through today, what I want to share with you is that we are actually free to pursue something beyond just getting through day by day. Just trying to survive the the schedule that we have in place, trying to survive our work jobs and, and trying to get to that place of retirement, whether we're just trying to survive child rearing. And because let's be honest, sometimes raising kids is a matter of survival, right? For them and for us. And sometimes you're not sure they're going to survive, right? That sometimes happens. The disciples, as we look through and study their lives, the disciples saw freedom as a gift to follow and know Christ. That is how the disciples define freedom. Because truly, they did not just get opened up to a lifestyle where they could do whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted. Surely, they did have that opportunity. But they chose that there was a way to live as free that was better than simply doing whatever they wanted. Not having anybody tell them otherwise. Not let anybody step in and say, stop what you're doing. Even though that is a definition of free for them, it was about knowing Christ. It was what Christ had done on the cross because as we read in Galatians 5.1, Jesus came so that we would be free from the bondage of sin. He encouraged us not to return to it. It's interesting, the word Christian is not a word that Jesus ever used We call ourselves Christians, or some of us may or may not use that word. We've come up now 
because language has become more important in recent years, we've got other words that we use. Sometimes we'll say we're a believer or an evangelical or we're a follower of Jesus. Or some of you who are historians will say, I'm a follower of the way. And everybody will go, what is that like the radio station? What is that? You know, literally, at the time of Jesus, his disciples were being called followers of the way. They never referred to themselves as Christians. In fact, what we find, it's not until several years later when the disciples have gone out and have begun sharing what was most important to them, this life of Christ that was given for theirs so that they could know him and they could be forgiven of their sins and they could forever be in the presence of God. They devoted their life to that and they so mimicked the life and teaching of Jesus that other people began noticing they look just like their Jesus. We read about it in Acts chapter 11, and it says, So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So it was a name that was given to them, not a name that they ever took for themselves, although it's become so commonplace for us, it really doesn't have much meaning. But for them, the, literally the word Christian meant little Christs. And they gave them that name, not because they embodied who Jesus was and his deity, but instead they represented what it looked like to walk with him so closely That the people around them, which there can be no greater compliment from the world around you than to say, you look like Jesus. And they found in that pursuit great freedom. The kind of freedom that they would willingly subject themselves into an incredible amount of pain and hardship. The kind of freedom that they would even eventually all but one would have their life taken from them against their will. And yet they saw in this ability to know Jesus and to follow him, they saw it as the opportunity to truly be free. You know, I I think it's funny when uh, we go through different trend uh, periods and patterns in our world, and we've all been through, remember when we started Journey, uh, I, I started wearing these graphic T-shirts, and I don't mean graphic like inappropriate. I mean like you know like graphics on them, and uh, and so I started wearing that. And like every pastor of a church plant wore that t- that kind of T-shirt, and we all thought we were different until so you put us all in a room together, and we would go to conferences. And we'd be like, man, where'd you get that? Because we're wearing the same thing. Everybody, there was no trend, there was no buck in the system, there was no we're different. And when I think back to when I was a kid. One of my favorite trends that I never got to partake in were parachute pants. Remember those? My mother's here. My mom and dad are here. They never let me get my pair of parachute pants, and that's all right. I'm not holding a grudge. But all my friends had them, every one of them. But anyways, everybody felt like they were different, but they weren't. It was a trend, right? We go through trends all the time. Leggings is a trend, Right? Workout clothes. We all wear workout clothes. I think that you're not technically supposed to wear workout clothes in public unless you're very overweight. That is my observation of the workout clothes trend. 
Usually they're supposed to be in the gym, right? That's where we wear our workout clothes. But it's, now we wear them everywhere. Soon we'll have weddings and we'll have whole wedding parties and they'll have different color running shirts with their running tights and all. I mean, what does it look like for us to align our lives, not with whatever makes us as individuals feeling fulfilled and glorified as if we have defined who we are, but what does it look like when we align ourselves with someone that we begin to look like them, and that changes the world. So that's the difference in some of the trends you and I partake in. We want to be cool, or we want to look like other people, or we want to feel like we fit in, or sometimes we want to act like we're younger than we really are. So we wear younger clothes than we really should, some of us. Maybe me sometimes. But instead, we have the opportunity to become just like they were, little Christ's, to embody the teachings and the life of Christ so that others, when they look at our lives, they don't have to come to our church. They don't have to listen to our sermons. They don't have to sing our songs. They don't have to come to a fifth Saturday car meet. But instead, just because they rub shoulders with us, we see them at work. We live in the same neighborhoods that they do. They go, that is a little Jesus. They look like him. They talk like him. They see the world like he did. They respond to problems the way Jesus did. And that's so different than the way the rest of us respond. See, that is the power and the freedom to know Christ is that not only do we have the opportunity to demonstrate that something is different, but we get to show them it's so much better. And so when we come together and we sing songs like Jesus paid it all, which I I love that every time it gets me every time we've done it. When we sing that song, we recognize that Jesus truly has rescued us from something. He's rescued us from ourselves. He's rescued us from our sin. He's rescued us from a life without purpose. He's rescued us from living lives where we're just trying to get by and hope that at the end of the race, we look back and we're not disappointed with what we've done with our time here on this earth. He's rescued us from all of that. And so we have the opportunity to follow him and what they recognized was in that moment that they had been set free. Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. What I truly believe, and what I hope you've gotten over the course of this series, is that freedom is not just a a physical state of being, but it is a spiritual state of being released to what is true and authentic. Having faith is not that thing that we just do because we're supposed to go to church because we hope at the end of all of this that if we do stand before God, we have to answer for our sins. But instead, we recognize that God is so great and God is so wonderful that we have the opportunity to know him and walk with him now. That's what freedom is. Freedom is the opportunity to see the world beyond the way the world wants you to see it. To see the world as it truly is. To see people, not just as others want you to see them, but instead to see people as they truly are. As we've talked in a couple of the last weeks, we have the freedom to fail and not experience heart-wrenching failure. We have the opportunity to wrong somebody, and even if they won't forgive us, we have the opportunity to let it go. We, get, we can act in ways of repentance. And even if they don't forgive us, we know we have done what is right. 
And we can also be wronged by others, by those that don't care that they've wronged us. They don't care what hurt or harm they've done. And we can offer them forgiveness and move on. And instead of doing what the rest of the world does and replay that event over and over and over in our minds so that we relive it every single day. We have the opportunity to go beyond that. It's freedom that is offered through Christ. If you've got your Bibles, I'm going to be looking in um, Ephesians chapter 4 for a while this morning. I'm actually going to be in Ephesians 4 and Romans. Uh, We're going to go through a couple of passages. I want you to see how it's described by Paul, what it looks like to be enslaved to Christ. What does it look like to follow him? What does it look like to break the bonds of this daily routine that you and I find ourselves chained to? It begins with verse 1, and it says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. We're going to come back to that. Live in a manner worthy of the calling in which you have been called. Not that some of you have been called. Not live in a manner worthy of just the upper echelon of Christian leaders as we tend to prioritize and put into hierarchies. But you all have been called. I urge you to be to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high and he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. I'm saying he ascended. He's explaining himself. What does it mean? But that... He had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking truth and love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Let me just stop there for a second. You realize the point of what we do. I believe you realize the point of what we do or you would be spending your morning doing something else. But you realize the point of what we do is not that we somehow are pleasing God by our attendance in church, right? Whatever we're doing here, our goal is not that we're going to be somehow rewarded or blessed by giving us more stuff, which often means more problems, just because we're here. Instead, we have a purpose here, and we have been called to fulfill what God wants to do within us. And that always, always, always looks like becoming more like Christ. That's what it always looks like. For the believer today, there is no other way that the gospel should be lived out than for you to look like Jesus in this world. It's easy for us, if you've grown up in the church, if you've grown up studying your Bible 
to think that it's all about behavior modification. God wants me to show that I appreciate his gift by modifying my behavior in the ways he tells me. And some of you have spent your lives trying to do that, and it is a very frustrating pursuit. Would you agree? I mean, we try to help our kids modify their their behaviors. When we grow up, we don't want to have to do that anymore, right? But instead, what we're not trying to do is somehow please God. He's going to let us into heaven. But what we're doing is we are wanting to become like the one who saved us. And what Paul is saying here is that you and I have the opportunity when we know who Christ is, when we believe that he is the real thing, we have the opportunity to say, I give this life and I give it away so that I can know you and be with you. And what we struggle with, especially right now in this, in this time, in this age, what we struggle with, with what's going on in our world around us, is truly living out what it looks like to become like Christ in a world that says there's nothing good about that. That's not nothing, it's not something new. It's not that the world has just become this way. It's not that no one else had to struggle with this. But it is a struggle that we deal with. Verse 15 again says, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. There is such a pull right now for individualism. There is such a pull that my opinion is the most important opinion in the room. There is such a pull that says, when I get on Facebook, I'm looking for somebody and I am going to let them know that their worldview is wrong and mine is right. There is such a pull that says, you'll never tell me how I'm supposed to think. I think the way I want to think. And we live in a place that for you to say, my goal is to live my life in a way that honors Christ and I become more like him, is completely against that. So that calling for which every one of us has been called is that simple calling is that we would grow up into him. And what he goes on in this passage, which is a wonderful passage about spiritual gifts, is to say the church itself cannot operate correctly unless you and I all do our part as a result. Some of us are very caring and compassionate. And some of us aren't. (laughs) Just be honest. Some of us are great when we see a need. We run to the need. And some of us see a need and think, it's their own fault. They should have planned better. Some of us look around and we see people who just need someone to encourage them. And others see them and wonder, what's wrong with them? God makes us in so many different ways. He makes us to fill so many different roles. The purpose is not for every single one of us to fulfill every single role. The purpose is for us to be the person God wants us to be and then to partner with everybody else in a community so that we can more holistically demonstrate what the body of Christ looks like. So that person who walks into a room and says, what's wrong with you? Why do you keep crying? is not necessarily the person you want to walk in the room when you're hurting, but yet the person who walks in and immediately comes to you and puts their arms around you, that person is who needs to be there. 
we're not each supposed to do everything, but in some way, each one of us is to grow up to mature, to become more like the one who gave his life for us. That is what the church is. That is what the church is supposed to look like. And there's really no way, as we go through this, there's really no way to understand the kind of freedom that the disciples saw, or the kind of freedom that we have the opportunity to have, unless we recognize that we are unwilling slaves to a worldly system when we are born, but we have the choice to submit ourselves in obedience to someone who is better than us. We have that opportunity. I'll give you an example. I'm going to read a story. This is from a book called On the Grace of God by Justin Holcomb. It's a story about Abraham Lincoln. And if you've not hit Abraham Lincoln yet in your history studies, some of you, you probably already have. We credit Abraham Lincoln with bringing freedom across our nation and changing the way that uh, slavery worked in, in this part of our world. This is what it, this, how the story goes. It says, Abraham Lincoln went to a slave auction one day and was appalled at what he saw. He was drawn to a young woman on the auction block. The bidding began and Lincoln bid until he purchased her, no matter the cost. After he paid the auctioneer, he walked over to the woman and said, you're free. Free? What is that supposed to mean? She asked. It means you are free. Lincoln answered, completely free. Does it mean I can do whatever I want to do? Yes, he said, free to do whatever you want to do. Free to say whatever I want to say? Yes, free to say whatever you want to say. Does freedom mean, asking with hope and hesitation, that I can go wherever I want to go? And he said, it means exactly that you can go wherever you want to go. With tears of joy and gratitude welling up in her eyes, she said, then I think I'll go with you. And that in itself is the story of the gospel. The opportunity that he paid the price for our enslavement, willingly saying, you are free. And yet when a person who has been enslaved recognizes this enslavement that they have now been freed from, they want to be with the one who has freed them. That is the gospel. It boggles my mind sometimes when I look around the world and I look around at our churches and so many of our churches are struggling and people are doing so many other things and we fill our time with so many other things. And, you know, I'll just make it to church sometime or I'll spend time serving sometime or I'll be a part of that group of people. But right now I just got other stuff to do. And I think, do you not know what Christ has saved us from? That this thing we do is not just that thing that we do on Sunday mornings because we have nothing better to do. But instead is an opportunity to be the body of Christ together and together share the gospel with the world. That's the point of us being together. So many times I come in and I've had a rough week like some of you have had. And I look around and there are certain people I can see and I'll be, man, they, nothing ever bothers them. They just deal with life's troubles with much more grace than I sometimes do. You ever notice that? ever have those people in your life? I mean, they're just better at this than I am. And it helps me to learn how to better deal with problems with grace. Because I watch others who have been through that before me. That's what the church is about. 
That's what it means to say, I want to be not only with the one who set me free, but I want to be with all the others that know they've been set free too. And so we have the opportunity, just like this woman, to say, I want to be with you. And what I know and what you know is, if you're an observant person in any way, is that whenever we're born, we're enslaved to something. And the truth is that we're enslaved to destructive desires, and it's our natural unadjusted life path. When you and I are born, we like to think we're born into complete neutrality. But as you grow, you realize the world is structured in a way and and social pressures work in such a way that you may be neutral for a period of time, but you will eventually enter into the stream of social encouragement that will try to mold you in a certain way. It happens in school. It happens whenever you begin working. Sometimes it happens in our families. And we realize we're not truly free to be absolutely neutral because the people that I live around don't let me be neutral. So if I truly want to overcome this world or this existence that I live in, I somehow have to overcome all of the pressures that are put on me and I have to seek what is true. And that is a freedom that is given to us through Christ. If you and I would spend our days less entertaining ourselves with different things that keep us distracted and instead would continually observe what's going on in our own lives and around us, we would begin to become seekers of truth. And it is the path of seeking truth that truly leads to the ability to be free. And yet so many or so few seem to find it anymore. Obedience is a form of slavery, I suppose. But it's a form that helps you grow. It's a form of willing slavery to say, I am yours. Where you go, I go. I recognize your way is better, it is greater, and it is beyond my comprehension. And that's the way I want to go. As we've looked through some of the other topics we've talked about over the last few months, we've talked a lot about hardship we've talked a lot about suffering and today we know there are people in parts of our nation and just south of our nation that are struggling and suffering at last count there are over 900 who have died in haiti as a result of hurricane matthew now there's no way to say god was mad at those people and so he decided to wipe them out with a hurricane even though there are some let's be honest crazy theology going on about this hurricane now, somehow this is god's judgment on the world I don't think that's the way God's going to bring judgment on the world. But instead, we see people often that struggle and hurt and are in pain. And instead of looking at that as some, as some kind of punishment that God has dealt to us, we recognize that it is through pain that we often grow the greatest. It is often when we are broken that we receive the greatest opportunity to experience God's grace. It was in those times that we feel like we've got to give up in this world that we have the most wonderful opportunity to say, God, I am here, be with me. And God comforts those who are hurting. There's an opportunity for you and I to grow. And we have the opportunity to see that following him is so much greater than just trying to live this life out, getting our ways. Overall, I believe we've been called to imitate Christ. I've already said that. Not only is it a responsibility, it is a gift that he has given with us, given to us. 
And what I have learned, and I learned this early on, I think it's the reason that I, I continue to do what I do is, is I've learned that our relationship with God is dynamic when we seek Him. It ebbs and flows, it changes, but it is always powerful. At times it leads you in one direction and then says, nah, okay, now I want you to change directions. It, it takes you to places where you say, God, I'm not sure I want to go there. And he says, this is where I need you to be. And God is there with you, communing, communicating with you. Where communion is not just this thing that we do, but it's an opportunity to truly experience the presence of God within our lives. The church is meant to be a thriving and active community of little Christ's that grow to mimic our Savior and truly convey the glories of God. This is how John describes it in 1 John. He says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. He is light. And when we follow him, our lives demonstrating, demonstrate it, not only our repentance, but also the receiving of forgiveness. And it is a wonderful gift that he's given us. The truth is, for you and I, that we live in a time where belief has become the preeminent expression of faith. And the problem is, belief is like the lowest rung of the tier of faith. Scripture tells us even, even the demons believe. But yet we have somehow elevated belief to a place of ultimate arrival for the Christian. But the truth is that you can believe in God. You can believe that Jesus is the Messiah. You can believe that there is a heaven where we are free from all kinds of pain and heartache and sorrow, where it's free from all disappointment, it's free from all sin, it's free from all struggle, it's free from all oppression, and we can still, by believing all of those things, be enslaved to the patterns of this world. We can believe all of it. And you and I know what that feels like. I believe Jesus is real. I believe Jesus is the Savior, and yet I still am absolutely enslaved we can believe it all. Many of the believers today have begun to rest on grace while abandoning the teachings of Jesus. This isn't new. It's not like we're the worst of the worst. This happened almost immediately after Jesus went to heaven. After he was resurrected from the grave and he spent time with his disciples, he gave them their commission. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is Ascended into heaven. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then when it's your time, I'll bring you to that place. Just a few short years after that. We begin to see that people begin abandoning these teachings. They begin to believe that, you know what? I live under grace. Therefore, my sin doesn't matter. God has forgiven me and there's nothing I can do about it. So he can do whatever I want and he'll continue to forgive me. Anybody 
Know anybody that lives like that? I know when I look in the mirror, sometimes I'm that guy. God will forgive me. It's just easier to ask forgiveness than permission, that kind of stuff. But many of them embrace grace while also embracing enslaving sin. And this is exactly what Galatians 5.1 is trying to say. Do not subject yourself to this stuff again. In Romans 6, it says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life, which means you are brought out of slavery and you are given the opportunity to be absolutely brand new. For if we have been unified with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be unified with him in a resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. And I believe this is he's talking about right now. Right now. One of the reasons I think that we have put belief at such a high level is because so few truly experience life-giving relationship with Christ right now. Because once you have, nothing else matters. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. I'm going to skip down to verse 15. It says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. He's repeating himself. Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves... You are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. What he's literally saying here is that we have the opportunity to be enslaved to something. One is to sin that we have no control over. That thing that is going to continue to lead us to a place of destruction. Or we have the opportunity to be slaves of righteousness. To say, I want to pursue what is good and what is right. If you're a parent, how many of you don't want that for your children? One of the primary life lessons we want our kids to gain is the pursuit of what is right. Isn't it? Not just the pursuit of what is comfortable. Not just the pursuit of what is easy, not just the pursuit of happiness that a lot of us grew up believing was the purpose of life, but the pursuit of what is right. Whenever we see our kids do something that is right, we want to tell them that was awesome. Because if all we ever do is tell them when they're wrong, that just hurts them. Whenever we see them make good steps, we need to tell them that was a good step. Because there's not many people that will encourage the pursuit of what is right if we're not doing it first. At the end of the day, I believe that to know Christ is to be free. 
To follow Christ is to know freedom. And to commune with Christ is to know the beauty of God and our Savior. Psalm 103 says this about God, and I'm about to, about to wrap up, but I want you to hear this because it speaks to who God is to those who know they've been rescued. Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He may known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. We are in a time when we must return to the following of the teachings of Jesus. That is where we are to experience the wonders of who God is. So I want to encourage you. If we are going to be free. We have to champion freedom. If we are going to be free. We have to recognize what was a priority for Jesus. And those have to be our priorities. I recognize we're in a volatile political climate right now. And yet we have to, as Jesus did, look after those who are oppressed and those who are being hurt, those who are being held captive, and those who need freedom. That is who we become when our hearts align with Christ. When we look around to see people that are hurting, we need to be there. When we look around and see people who are struggling, that is where Christians need to be. Whenever we look around and we see that people are just trying to get by and they can't make it on their own, that is where the church shines. But those aren't comfortable places to be. They're not comfortable for any of us. A few of you have been gifted with that supernatural ability to just be drawn to those in need and who are struggling. But not everyone is given that gift. But that is a place where we all should be. If we're going to be free and we're going to seek truth, that means we must see through Jesus' eyes. We've got to see people through his eyes. We've got to see our lives through his eyes. We've got to be able to see our jobs and where we're spending our resources through the eyes of Jesus because we are becoming like him. We've got to begin asking ourselves difficult questions. You and I have to live as if we are his hands and his feet. It's been said, who will take care of those who are suffering? Why is God not there? But yet he has sent us to be there. We are his hands and his feet. We have to evaluate every opportunity. We have to evaluate every problem. We have to evaluate our current situation and our future aspirations as if Christ is our conscience. If he was there with us on our shoulder, if he was in our heads, which is where he should be. Then how would he deal with this? How, what would he choose here? What would he do? And we have to go. So that others can be free with us. I want to encourage you that if you have grown up in a system where you feel that you don't have anything to offer. And I, it just, it, I run into so many people who just, 
They are so down on themselves. They do not see themselves the way Jesus sees them. They struggle with the value of who they are as an individual. They don't believe that they've earned any opportunity to, to invest in others. And instead, they just stay quiet and all coiled up inside because they're afraid that others will recognize what they fear most, that they don't have anything of value within them. But I want you to know that when you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit within you. You are gifted in such a way that you can change the world simply by following him. And if we as a church are the church that Jesus designed us to be, you will not be there alone, but we will be with you. We must go so that others can be free with us. If I were going to leave with one thing, it's always impossible to wrap up conceptual things with just one thing. But if I were going to leave you with one thing, I really would wrap it up in this one thing, that we are free. You and I are truly free when we authentically walk with Jesus. And the reason you and I are free when we authentically walk with Jesus is because it is only then that we are able to break out of the enslaving prison that this world is for our minds and our souls. Once we are walking with him, and I say authentically, I don't mean that we're just playing around, but I mean you are authentically. Where you go, I'm going. What you say, I am going to do. Whenever I read it, I'm not just going to read it. I'm going to apply it. Whenever I learn it, I'm going to find a way to use it. You're authentically walking with Jesus. That is when we are truly free. I'm going to pray with you, and we've got one more song before we close. I want to give you just an encouragement to be here next week. And uh, we're starting a, a new series next week called Blind Spots. How's that? Anybody ever feel like that at the end of a hard work week? You feel like you're doing good. You've been working hard. Everything's been going great. And then there was that thing you missed. And it cold cocked you right beside the head. Well, next week we're going to start a new series called Blind Spots. And I really encourage you to be here. I encourage you to bring some people with you. It's not going to be a feel-good series. I mean, it's going to feel good. Because everybody that gets hit in the jaw every now and then, it feels good, right? <laughs> not really. But, but we are going to talk about what are those things that tend to re-enslave us? What are those things that we tend to have a blind side to? And when we're not looking, they tend to take us out. I don't know about you, but I don't want that to happen. And so I hope you'll join us next week as we begin talking about that. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I thank you for the grace that says no matter how much of a sinner I am, I can be forgiven and I can be free. God, I thank you for the examples in this room of those who just so effortlessly just demonstrate what it means to know you and to just be filled with your spirit. God, I thank you for the opportunity that even as I look around this world and it is just in decay all around us, I thank you that we can overcome that. I thank you that we can know you and we can see the world through eyes of hope, with eyes of purpose, that we can look into the faces of those who are struggling and tell them, this is not how it's going to end for you. But instead, you have so much waiting for you. I pray that we would not just put our hope in a, 
a place once we die, but our hope would be in a Savior right now where we live so that we would be changed now and that we would become more like you. I pray for us as a church that we would not simply go through the motions, but instead we would authentically live out what it looks like to follow you. I pray that you would help us to do that for the children that walk in this building every single day. I pray that you would help us to do that for those who walk in with a smile on their face while inwardly feeling like they're falling apart. Lord, I pray that we would walk outside of this building into the places where we work, the places where we live, and that we will not just go and think about Jesus every now and again, but instead everything we do will be through the lens of following you. Forgive us where we fail. Forgive us where we sin. Father, remind us for the hope that we have in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.